Welcome back to Sex and Couples Therapy with a Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, LICSW and Certified Sex Therapist, here again with Vicki, my producer. And today we're going to talk about anxiety. So last time when we were talking about what to expect from sex and couples therapy, um, the subject of anxiety came up, um, understandably, because just the thought of going into therapy and exposing, you know, information about your relationship and about your sexuality can bring on anxiety. And, and as Vicki and I had kind of touched on, there's this idea that, especially I think for men, uh, in, in heterosexual relationships, particularly, um, the thought of therapy makes them essentially just say no. So their wives or girlfriends, partners, you know, will say, Hey, let's go. And it'll take them a year or two to say yes. Um, the sooner people get into therapy, the better, um, because then their habits aren't so long ingrained. And and to make the point again, you know, we're not taught these things in school. I mean, I never had a relationship course in high school. I don't know if anybody else did. I got one health class in fifth grade and that was it. Right. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it's anxiety provoking just the process itself. But I try to make it a pleasurable one for people, a fun one, one where people can actually look forward to it. And I think that that happens a lot, um, which is really nice to hear. So I feel like I'm doing my job because what I'm asking people to do when they come in is really focus on something, something good. You know, what do you appreciate about your partner? And that can be so hard when people are coming in thinking they want to talk about the affair or they want to talk about how the garbage never gets taken out or whatever it is that they are so angry about, you know, they're coming into therapy to sort of prove their point. And I want to help them shift that, put more positive neurons in their neuropathways and, and get themselves to do the opposite and think about what they love about their partner. You know, when we think about when we first begin dating, um, we're spending a lot of time in, in positive fantasy right? We're spending a lot of time making the date, uh, dreaming about how it's going to go. You know, what will our partner be like naked? I don't know. What, whatever all the, the wonderful things are that people dream about when they first begin dating, all of that stuff begins to fall by the wayside as the pressures build on and layer on, uh, you know, plan, from planning the wedding to buying the house to thinking about children to the jobs and you know, all the, the folks today who are sandwich, um, sandwich generation, sandwiched between their parents and their children, there's a lot of stress for people. So um, helping people manage their anxiety is, is really important, uh, whether it's in the relationship or whether it's uh, regarding their sexuality. Anxiety is key. If we can manage our anxiety, we can bring down tension, relational tension, sexual tension for greater pleasure. So do you think it's those everyday stressors and the constant pressure that turns a normal stressor into anxiety? How, how does a normal stress that you, uh, that you, how do I want to phrase this? How does a normal stressor turn into anxiety? So the stressor is one thing. Um, the anxiety is the reaction to it and everything is normal. I'm so glad you said the word normal because everything is normal. I would say 99, probably 0.5% of, uh, issues that couples are coming in with are normal. Again, the only pathology, which means it's not necessarily normal, has to do with physical pain. This is how I think about it. You know, if there is uh, sexual pain um, 
you know, or there's something going on for a man that's biologically based, let's say, or a woman uh, around sexuality, I'm going to refer them to the doctor. I'm going to refer them uh, to their provider to help them with that. But, but, but aside from that, your question is, you know, how do you differentiate between what's normal and what's anxiety provoking? Most normal things provoke some level of fear, worry, stress, tension, and anxiety. And before we know it, things have escalated so much because we think that we're right. Each individual thinks they're right. Um, this is where it, we, we begin to sort of uh, butt heads. Um, there are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and this is John Gottman and Julie Schwartz write about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and they talk about defensiveness. These are the things that, you know, crop up in relationship that lead to an 81% chance of breakup or divorce. Defensiveness is one. Criticism is the next Stonewalling is the third, like when folks shut down, stonewall, say, that's it, I'm out, or I don't want to talk about it. Um, and the fourth one is is uh, resentment. So when we develop resentments long term over time, that turns to contempt. And once contempt sets in, again, there's that very high chance that people will split and break up. Now, do those four overlap and intersect a lot? Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah. Um, so what I'm trying oftentimes to get people to do is develop empathy. You know, this is really key. Uh, and it doesn't come naturally, um, especially for men, heterosexual men. Uh, you know, women have the babies. So we are sort of biologically prone to empathy. We we are attuned to hearing a child cry, uh, needing to know when they need to get fed. So and, and I don't want to stereotype because there are a lot of extremely empathic men and beautiful and wonderful men. And I have a lot of wonderful guys around me. So um, I'm not saying that men aren't or less likely to be, but I think sometimes it comes easier for women, although um, sometimes it, that's not the case for women, meaning that, again, we get very attached to, let me not judge any gender here, we get very attached to how we think about the problem what we think the story is about the problem. And that is the thing that creates anxiety. So if we can be more mindful, be in the moment, be curious, not furious with our partners, um, we can, again, we can still argue our point of view, which we should, um, but that doesn't mean we're going to get our way. You know, I like people to think about the relationship as a team. And if the team is winning, I mean, I think of sports metaphors all the time. Um, you know, it's not about the individual player. It's about the team as a whole. Um, whatever you think of Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick, um, you know, they were they were a pretty good uh, team. <laughs> you know, they they figured out how to strategize, plan, do everything so that they got a, lots of wins. Um, OK, I suppose now they're divorced. But be that as it may, as long as it lasted, it was a good marriage. It was a great marriage. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like anything. It's like, uh, you know, musicians who practice and they're in a symphony. You know, again, it has to be a team effort. And, and I think we've, we've gotten far afield in thinking how important we are individually in the relationship. Um, and we really need to be thinking relationally, not so individually. Are there certain um, practices that you use when couples or individuals come to you with anxiety-based would you call them problems or would you call them issues? I'm not sure, but are there specific things that you tend to use to help them? Yeah, we can call them problems. We can call them challenges. Um, we can call them disagreements. Uh, yes. And so oftentimes I like to help people 
practice and learn and incorporate something called uh, two-minute mindfulness. It's a two-minute mindfulness practice, and I'll actually do it in my office with people. I'll have them sit and just take a, a moment to close their eyes if they feel comfortable. If they don't feel comfortable, they can just lower their eyelids to decrease visual stimulation. And just sitting in the chair, and I have some nice comfy chairs in my office from Pier 1. I love them. Um, just sitting in the chair, they uh, just sort of begin to focus on the breath. And I'm just going to share with you right now, I am not a big meditator, but I do find that this very simple, quick practice is helpful. So just bringing their attention to the breath and just focusing on the breath, taking in a breath, and then observing, playing the observer after they brought their attention to the breath, just noticing when their mind begins to wander. Because the metaphor is that it's important to play the observer in our lives um, to sort of detach, if you will, um, from the very ingrained way of, of being. Again, this idea, the story we tell ourselves, the narrative. So focusing on the breath, noticing it as the mind begins to wander, um, I have them do that exercise and then redirecting their attention back to the breath and staying there for a moment. I even have them kind of check in with any muscle groups in the body where they're holding tension and just allow themselves to let that go. Um, yeah, it's a nice little two-minute exercise, which again brings down anxiety, gets them uh, in a calmer place because they may be transitioning from running from work, you know, getting into the car, driving over, running up the stairs, you know, and so it's just a nice way to, to begin to bring down uh, the tension and, and begin to relax. And then it puts people in a, in a place more likely where they'll be able to, in that more relaxed state, think about what they appreciate about their partner, think about what they're grateful for. Um, and if we can incorporate mindfulness or some kind of, quick meditation, even if it's not that, even if it's just going outside, for example, I love to be outside, you know, as lots of us do, and just focus on a tree, you know, focus on the clouds floating by, you know, anything that gets us into a practice where we're really in the moment is a great way to begin to relax more and manage our anxiety better. So when you see people for couples therapy and sex therapy, how is the anxiety in each of those situations different or similar? Do you see a lot of things that overlap or, or are they kind of distinctive to each bucket, so to speak? I see a lot of overlapping. Yes. Um, great question. So when it comes to sex therapy, because I've, I've talked a lot about couples therapy, when it comes to sex therapy, um, the idea about anxiety being the barrier to more pleasure is very simply about muscle tension. So when people are anxious, um, there's performance anxiety. Let's talk about men for a second and erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation. Um, a lot of this has to do with thinking about how we're performing. Uh, am I turning, you know, again, I'm going to refer to heterosexual couples. Um, a man might think, um, am I performing the way she likes? Am I turning her on? Uh, you know, the, the, we're conscious about our bodies and, and all of that stuff. So I get people to, um, or I encourage people to, through an exercise like Sensate Focus, for example, that's a take-home exercise, to begin to focus on their own pleasure. Um, to begin to slow things down. Anxiety is, is a problem that, that comes when we're in such a fast-paced uh, 
life and world, and we're we're less likely to slow things down. So that's where the mindfulness piece comes in, is just this idea of taking a breath. You know, a lot of us, I'm sure everyone can relate to this. Sometimes, you know, you go through the whole day. I'm even guilty of it, where you don't even just take a breath. Just take a moment to say, oh, you know, let me look out the window. Let me stare into space. You know, we're constantly on the go. So we're very ramped up and therefore very tense. So Sensei Focus is an exercise. It's an it's about an hour long. People can abbreviate it and do it for shorter if they like. Um, but it's it's this exercise where couples are just in the room and people can do it individually too, um, where we're just slowing things down and we're getting in touch with touch with the pleasure around touching. Um, and, you know, if folks want to know more about it, I can I can talk to them if, if they come for therapy. Um, come for therapy. Sorry, that's a little joke. It's jokes in sex therapy all the time. Um, but, but if they were to engage in the process, I lead them through what Sensei Focus is. And again, it's just this idea, just generally speaking, of slowing down, getting in touch with what feels good, um, you know, a little bit of the part of, of sensate focus is focusing on temperature, texture, pressure, uh, what feels nice so that we can get back to experiencing pleasure rather than performing for the other, because that brings up tension and anxiety and gets in the way. You know, the idea of um, vacation sex? <laughs> I don't know if you know this term, Vicky, no, but there's this idea amongst older people uh, where, you know, you're in your 50s, 60s, whatever, and you're going on your vacation. Well, most people expect to have pretty good sex on vacation because, you know, they're not waking up and going to work and thinking about what they're going to make for dinner and how to get the kids off to school. Right. So vacation sex is, is a thing that goes well because people are more relaxed. I wonder. So this. I don't know how I want to phrase this, but it, it would be great if by practicing mindfulness and by practicing sensate focus, you could have vacation sex all the time. That's the goal, isn't it? Sure. That's it. Yes, exactly. But how do we do that in our everyday lives? You know, how to incorporate that is, is the challenge. Um, here's what I'll say. There's an interesting uh, analogy I like. You know, when people complain that they can't get to sleep, there can be lots of reasons for that. But oftentimes it's because we're focusing on getting to sleep, which it gets in the way of falling asleep. If we focus on rest rather than sleep, we're more likely to get our pulse rate under 60 and fall off to sleep. In the same way that when people focus on the orgasm or the erection, it, it, it gets in the way of the actual um, goal. So instead, the goal, I, I encourage people to focus on pleasure. That way they may much more easily get to that place, like sleep, they'll get to that erection. Um, does that make sense? Or orgasm? No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So if we focus on the journey rather than the end goal, right, it's a beautiful metaphor for life. It's very important in sex therapy to talk about, uh, you know, biology, too. So um, for women, uh, there is a writer, Emily Nagoski, and she has written a book called Come As You Are. Isn't that a lovely title? I love that title. And uh, it's a beautifully written book. She's a great writer. She makes it so easy to want to keep reading her. Um, 
But she, she talks about um, responsive desire in women versus spontaneous desire. So um, there's this idea that if a woman sees a man in uniform, for example, you know, and that turns her on, uh, that's responsive desire. Uh, some women only have responsive desire. Um, other women have uh, both spontaneous desire and responsive desire. Uh, so spontaneous desire is just, you know, suddenly you're walking along and mm, you start to feel turned on for no apparent reason. Um, so every woman's body is unique. This is also what's so beautiful. Um, women's uh, biology uh, is, is a lot more complicated when it comes to sexuality, a lot more complicated than men. Um, you know, there are thousands of nerve endings that women possess um, in their vulva area um, versus men um, in, in terms of their, you know, sexual area. So it's really important to, uh, for partners um, and in same-sex relationships as well, uh, you know, whether it's two women, two men, partners to really get to know their partner's body individually. Um, and that's why it's also so important for women in particular, men don't seem to have as much problem with self-touch, but for, I encourage women to, to touch themselves and get to know their bodies because they are so complicated. Um, and, and we can communicate, women can communicate more uh, what turns them on by, by getting to know themselves. Um, so Nagoski also talks about trauma and what that's like for women, how trauma affects sexuality. Um, you know, she has this beautiful idea that trauma wraps tendrils around us as women. When women have experienced trauma, it, it really is sort of, um, it's, it's there in a very, on a very deep core level. And it's very, very difficult for women to think about how can I get through that? Um, but I have just these wonderful clients that come to me and say, you know, look, I, I really want more and better. I'm about to get married and I know that, you know, this is not going to work for my marriage or I've been in my marriage for a long time and my husband is wanting me to, to be more communicative or open with him. Um, you know, how can I do that? So these are great questions. So I often will recommend to read Nagoski. She's just got this wonderful way of talking about uh, the gas pedal slash accelerator. She uses a metaphor of a car um, versus break, the brakes for women. So in talking about sexuality and anxiety, uh, there's this notion that the things that put our brakes on are the things that bring up anxiety. So if a woman is um, expected by her partner to uh, be sexual and yet she has to get the kids dressed and she has to make their lunches and she has to get herself off to work and, you know, she has all this enormous um, mountain of labor on her, I'll say to her husband or her wife, um, how can you help your partner so that she has less stuff to do so you're more likely to have sex. Um, you know, it's often the, the high desired partner that is coming in wanting sex, understandably, um, because you've made that pact or agreement with your partner. Um, the, and the lower desired partner, believe it or not, is actually the one in control. So if the higher desire partner is saying, I want more sex, and the lower desire partner is saying, I'm exhausted, I can't give you more sex. Well, you know, let's figure out a way to get those levels of desire a little bit more in balance by taking some of the stuff off the plate of the person who just might have too much on their plate. Um, these are ways of managing anxiety too. Talking about division of labor.
Do you find that when people come to therapy and start talking to you, that they talking about why they do want something or don't want something is difficult for them? Is it, is it the talking that's difficult or is it acknowledging the reason, do you think? Or is it neither? Uh, no, I think it's all of that. <laughs> I think it's all hard. You know, we, it's the, uh, quite often uh, knowing what we want. You know, we're not asked, hey, what do you want? Hey, what is it that, you know, as children, you know, oftentimes children are not encouraged to figure out what they want. You know, they're told essentially if they're running around and playing, they're told to be quiet or, you know, they're, they're not encouraged, you know, this idea of passion and play and pleasure, right? Kids generally, I mean, maybe from my generation, certainly, um, you know, kids are not encouraged to find their joy, find their pleasure, find their passion. Sometimes they are. Um, and that's a really good thing. So it's hard if you're not encouraged to do that. It's hard to figure what that is for yourself. And, and let's say you do know what it is. Um, then there are messages. There are societal messages for women that, you know, good girls don't talk about that stuff. We should just, you know, make our partners happy. We should just sort of go along to get along. Um, you know, again, the narrative, the story we tell ourselves, I want to break through that for people. I want to help them identify what it is that turns them on, what it is they find pleasurable and joyful. Say that to their partner. Hear their partner say, gee, well, okay, I'm not into that. Okay, so this takes us to another discussion about erotic fantasy, um, polyamory, kink, BDSM, right? All the stuff that can be talked about in sex therapy. It's so, for some partners, it's so relieving uh, to hear that oh, we can talk about this stuff. Um, and I say, yes, of course, we should talk about it. It doesn't mean your partner is going to want to go there with you, right? But talking about it at least helps your partner understand you better. Uh, and who knows, you know, maybe talking about it more, they might go, wow, you know, I'd never considered that before. Hmm, maybe that would be a turn on. Or maybe they say, listen, absolutely never going to go there. Let's just incorporate that into fantasy. And that can be a, a beautiful sexual erotic stimulus, if you will. Um, so there's lots of ways to get creative. I'd like to talk about uh, not only intercourse, but outer course, you know, sometimes for couples when um, for all, many different reasons, religious reasons, uh, reasons around disability, etc. you know, intercourse isn't always possible. Um, so we can talk about outer course and again, how to have pleasure um, not necessarily being inside your partner, but just enjoying pleasure side by side, let's say, for example. Um, and, and just all ways of being able to, to experience um, what is erotic. Again, maybe, maybe kink or BDSM is not something your partner is willing to engage in, but maybe it can be used in a fantasy world. Um, does that make sense? That does make sense. You know, this leads me to something that you pointed out to me, Vicki, this idea about how, <clears throat> you know, we we must face our fears and do the things that we are afraid to do, like getting on an airplane. Let's say you want to get to California, but you're terrified to fly. I mean, exposure therapy is the thing. So anxiety is often related to exposing ourselves to the thing we fear. So... um if I want to get on an airplane and get to California, the way to get through that is to talk about maybe in therapy what it would be like to get on the airplane and walk through every step of it. And what this is, is it's a way of developing ourselves. So um, 
developing ourselves in areas where we are underdeveloped. So oftentimes we're underdeveloped talking about what we need and want. Therapy is the place to do that. It's a safe space to do that. Um, and I do tell couples right from the beginning that therapy, whether it's couples therapy, sex therapy, regular therapy, therapy always brings up what's uncomfortable. Um, but the only way through is through, as I like to say. Uh, we really can't get to the other side. You're, we're not going to get to California. I suppose we could take a train, but boy, that's long. Right? <laughs> um, so if you want to get there quickly, you know, we just have to do it. Um, and oftentimes I find for people that w once they do it, uh, it's a lot easier than what they thought it was going to be like. So for couples mm -hmm. that might be, or for individuals that might be listening to this and saying, but I don't want to just do it. It stresses me out. It makes my anxiety worse. Do you have any ways or any words of comfort for them to, to help them know that it is going to be okay? Like when somebody comes to you and you say, I know this is going to be hard, but it'll be worth it. And what happens if they say, well, I don't know. How do I know that? Well, we don't know until we try. You know, mm -hmm. So it's important to be gentle with ourselves, to go easy on ourselves. If you try it the first time and you don't like it, you can always say, stop. Uh, all right, I'm going to come back to this. Um, but again, it's, it's like um, trying new foods, right? You know, I never knew that I was going to like uh, unagi or uni until I tried it. Um, and there's no way I would have known that had I not tried it, right? So trying new foods, developing our palates. Um, it's the same thing. It's like developing our, our palates for relationship or sexuality. The more we try, the more we practice things, the more we try what we like and what we don't like, we get a better understanding of who we are um, and what we like and what we don't like. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just not easy. Um, you know, it's like, uh, again, a musician. Um, you know, and having been a musician in my time, there, I've tried different instruments. Um, I tried learning bass. That just wasn't for me. Um, so finally, you know, I stumbled on singing and percussion. Okay, those were my instruments. I was never going to play trumpet. Um, you know, I, again, it's it's different for, for everyone. And we don't, we don't know until we try. And that's another thing I encourage clients to just try a lot of things. You know, if it's not terribly terrifying, try it. And if it's terrifying, we can talk about that too. You know, in the end, um, anxiety is, a, is something to be managed. It's normal. There's nothing abnormal about it. It's rooted in fear. Fear is the critical emotion that keeps us alive. Um, and we want to remember that everything is normal. The more we develop at managing anxiety by taking care of ourselves, by you know, getting activity, uh, eating right, all the basic stuff, as well as these ideas about mindfulness, being in the moment, slowing down, um, giving yourself an opportunity to just reduce tension. Not easy in this in this world that we're living in because um, everything is so fast paced. But I like to make it as uh, make it less daunting for folks than they think coming in. So it's really it's really a good thing. Uh, people again who are brave and courageous come to therapy, um, and remember that. And and it, there really is a payoff. It is well worth it.
So thanks again for, for joining us here. Um, if, if people want to get in touch, uh, they can call me at 508-990-9909. They can follow and message me on my Instagram at the Happy Ending Therapist. They can like my page on Facebook at The Sex and Couples Therapist, or they can go on my website to sexandcouplestherapy.com. Um, thanks again to Vicki, my producer. And don't forget, everybody, to always make time for pleasure, play, and passion. Thanks to the guys there in the back, Justin and Paul, and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>